Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Episode 13 Uncanny X-Men number 117 through 125 Hey everybody, this is Jerry. This is Sean. And we are back for another episode. And are you ready? I am. Alright, here we go. Previously on X-Men. Here's what happened, people. The X-Men were in the Savage Land. They fought Magneto in a, in a lava base. Got separated. Gene, the Beast, thought the rest of the X-Men were dead. The rest of the X-Men thought Gene and the Beast were dead. Gene and the Beast go home. The rest of the X-Men are floating in the sea, and they're saved by a bunch of Japanese fishermen. It's true. And during this whole time period, Gene and Beast make it back to the school, where it's just Professor Xavier and Lalandra. Gene tells Professor that the rest of the X-Men are dead, and he does the worst mistake any man can make, move in with a woman. I have no <laughs> argument. And not only that, but he moves into her place three exactly. galaxies away. That's what I'm away. saying. Whew. Yeah. He'll be back. <laughs> Real soon. So, that's where we are now. And that brings us to issue 117. Sean's been pumped for this one for a long time. I'm so excited for Psy War. Psy War. This is a crazy looking cover that gives you no indication of what actually happens inside. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly, for years, had no idea what this issue was when I saw it on the rack. Yeah. Until I reread it, and then I was like, oh yeah, this is the issue where Professor X is a complete badass. That's true. So it starts with the X-Men on their crappy raft, and trying to get away from the Savage Land, and blah blah blah. They're rescued, cut to Jean returning home, and then the Professor is telling Lalandra all about how hot he was for Moira McTaggart, which is always an awesome idea. I do this with my wife, like, every Friday night. <laughs> Jerry just, they sit down to a nice dinner, and Jerry just recants her with tales of his comic book crushes. No, no, I, I'm talking about actual women this time, okay? There, I, I do like actual women. It gets really creepy when he talks about Kitty Pride when she was 13. You know I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> this, see, this, now I know how you feel when people talk about Professor X having the hots for Jean. It's ugly and I don't like it. That pisses me I'll off. I'll stop me. doing that from now on. Alright, I'll leave Truce. you. Okay. Alright, shake Truce. on it. We're shaking. We find out quickly that Professor X has met Storm before. A long time ago when she was a wee lass. But it will, in Cairo. We, gotta, we gotta go back. That's a pretty sweet John Byrne page there with a big Xavier head and he's going through some memories of hanging out with Moira, going to war, then saying, screw all this. I'm just going backpacking. And then I'm going to paint with a sweet do-rag on my head. Yep. Professor X, man. This guy, is, he's got it going on. I'm telling you. And the, yeah, this is a sweet montage 
If you guys like montage pages. Oh, that's right. He got the Dear John letter from Moira. He's <gasps> like, listen, son, I don't fuck with the bald guy. <laughs> <laughs> she dumped him. Did in, you case, ever, in case did you, you ever, guys were wondering. Did you ever get broken up with because of the hair situation, Jerry? Oh, no, not outwardly. I've probably had That was probably stick, behind most of them. I've but. probably had chicks stick around for too long because of my hair. Yeah. Touch it. I'm not touching your hair. It's practically reaching across the table to me, but I'm not it touching is. it. I refuse. So, um, this young hungry storm tries to pick... <laughs> well, she's hungry. She's a she's a street urchin. I don't mean she's hungry like How do you a know wolf. it's storm? She's got white hair and blue eyes. Uh-huh. Who else would it be? Uh-huh. Who else would it be? I see the assumption here. Damn it. Don't do this to me. They all look the same. <laughs> they don't. They clearly don't all look the same. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> she looks very different. And not hot. So don't try to pin me into that corner. <laughs> so she she picks Professor X's pocket. He chases her. And when Jerry was reading this as a young lad, he was like, oh, I'd like her to pick my pocket. Come on, dude. She's like two feet tall. She's got to be six years old. All right. I'm sorry. There's, there's got to be a line somewhere. There's no lines in our podcast. <sighs> well, but there's a line where I show interest in a cartoon character. Okay. And it is not a five-year-old. Should we spill the beans and tell everybody that you don't actually have all these comic book crushes, but that I actually just make them up to make you out to be a weirdo? No. Okay. No. Got to keep it alive? Yeah. All right. So, uh, Professor X tracks Storm down. I'm sorry, Aurora down. And uh, zaps her... With his mind powers, his psi powers, freezes her, and easily takes his wallet back. But then is himself mind probed. Painfully so, as he says, arg, Thus beginning the most epic battle in Professor X's limited experience in the battlefield. But the thing is, is like this also, like this whole sequence of events of like seeing Xavier walk, which is pretty badass on his part. Um, yeah, good job walking, dude. It just like he's got a whole Indiana Jones vibe going on. Oh yeah, this is I think this why is totally I, Indiana yeah, Jones, which is why I think I dig it so much because there's no cooler person than Indiana Jones. The only thing missing is a monkey. He needs a monkey. Amul Roke needs a monkey to yeah. try to poison him with some dates. Come right. on, poor monkey. No, no, fuck that monkey. <gasps> that monkey was a dick. Well, he's dead now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You don't have a problem kicking dirt on dead people's cartoons. <laughs> Fuck you, Fred Phelps. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> Fuck you. So, in walks Amal Farouk, a very large, fez-wearing, kingpin-ly-styled. And he sits down at a table across from Professor X, who's wandered into Farouk's establishment looks like some kind of bar or restaurant yeah it's this whole sequence is just creepy to me because i think like you know i think reading this when i was younger it was one of those things where it was like well if it was logan he'd just run over there and stab him in the face if it was cyclops he could optic blast the holy hell but like not understanding like the the cool factor of the mind battle like yeah it just kind of, like, it's like, well, how the fuck is he going to get out of this? Because so, I, mean, I think of him as, like, schoolmarm. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the first time that I get, like, Professor Xavier, like, had some shit going on. Like, he could really be in the field if it wasn't, you know, for his for limitations. Yeah. And even with the limitations, he probably kicked the shit out of a lot of people. He kicked the shit out of danger. He did. It's only been two weeks. Have you already forgotten? I have. Ugh. I gotta focus on these issues, dude. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you that haven't read this issue, this is the X-Men's first encounter, and Professor X specifically. And this, So this is many years ago, obviously, since he's run into a young storm. Um, this is their first encounter with the Shadow King. Amal Farouk is the Shadow King. And um, you see this battle between the two of them play out on two planes. You see it play out in the astral plane, where they're both big muscular dudes that use their no minds way, man. to give themselves... But that's the cool thing is Xavier's not. That's what winds up being... Spoiler, but that's what winds up being Farouk. Like, Xavier creates... Hang on, we're skipping ahead here. We're not skipping that far ahead. What are we skipping? All right. Well, anyways, so they engage in a psychic battle. Right. What I'm saying is, like... And it happens on two planes. The, it does. The astral plane, where they take on, like, their idealized forms. And they, they, they're they wielding weapons, and it's really kinetic, and there's all kinds of crazy flames and explosions. And Farouk turns into this awesome-looking monster, which is what you see on the cover. And that panel right there, he looks like that green fucker from Street Fighter. Ah, oh. Yeah, I hate that guy. So... So while all this is happening on the astral plane, what makes this issue so fucking badass is that in the room where they're both physically sitting, Sean, take it away. There's just, it's like a great sequel of panels because, like, just imagine if you were in a restaurant and this was happening, like, these two guys are clearly staring at each other, but no words are being spoken between them. Like, waiters are bustling around, people are eating or drinking or doing whatever they're doing, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just Xavier stands up, and you see Farouk fall face-first into the table dead, and Xavier just walks out, because everybody's caught up in the fact that Farouk just keeled over and died. And it was because, on the astral plane... Xavier noticed that Farouk was spending so much... He was, like, expelling so much of his psychic energy trying to like use basically parlor tricks to to mess with Xavier like he was more focused on the background and making the astral plane look cool yeah. and making his suit look cool that he was wearing that Xavier was just like well fuck this shit and he went to his most simplest form and just shut off his mind and it's cool because this is really the first time Professor X has tried anything like this Farouk seems to be an old hat at it knows all the tricks and um it's cool because uh, Farouk gets the best of him early on and attacks him, like, shoots a bolt of flames, side flames or whatever, around the back of him. And to give you an idea of what the stakes of the battle are, they show Professor X's physical form, like, the back of his shirt singes and turns black. Pretty badass. While he just sits there silently, staring across the room at Farouk. The scene where Farouk bites it on the physical world is just a three-panel sequence from, you know, the same camera angle. Yeah. It is badass. The pacing of the story is really cool. I dig it. I do, too. Like, it was one of those things that I, um... I, unfortunately... I, I probably bought this when I was really young, but I think I overlooked most Shadow King stories because my introduction to him was in the cartoon. 
And, oh. like, the cartoon episodes really sucked. Yeah. Uh, that dealt with the Shadow King. Uh-huh. They shouldn't have, because you would think, like, that psychic battle... I think I was just too young for psychic battles. Yeah. Like, I remember being really bummed because I heard a story... I don't know if it's true or not, but I... So I heard a rumor that, um... The final battle in... That the, the original villain for X-Men First Class wasn't going to be Sebastian Shaw, but it was going to be the Shadow King. Oh, really? And that they had a whole sequence, like, in the middle of the movie where it was an astral plane battle. But it looked exactly like... Like, they filmed it and everything, and it was... It wound up looking exactly like the scene in Inception, when they're all, like, asleep in the room and moving around, and, like, Uh the the room's going... And they were worried that it was too close to the release of Inception, that people would just be like, you just fucking stole that from Inception. So they shit-canned it, and then we got... Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Whom I love. Yeah? Yeah, he was alright. He was alright. I love Magneto's helmet in that movie. <laughs> Especially at the end. Are we going to get to see more of it in the new one? Is you know, he going to be wearing it? I don't know. He goes full costume, doesn't he? At the very end, but I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where Singer got a hold of it again, so. Yeah. Who knows? He'll probably be in fucking bondage leather. <laughs> Yeah, so, so then Xavier runs over a little, you know, tells Alandra that from Cairo he moved east across India to Tibet. He fought the alien Lucifer and lost the use of his legs, which happened in X-Men number 20. And then he formed the X-Men. And, uh, just bum. He thinks they're all dead, so she suggests that they leave Earth. And she's like, what else have you got here, buddy? Come to Shear space with me. And he agrees. It's kind of a bittersweet issue, because he's totally badass, but looking at it now, you know, you kind of get a glimpse of what what the X-Men could have been with a fully mobile Professor X. I mean, his mind is so powerful that it doesn't really matter what his body can do, but... Yeah. Um, but still, man, with the use of his legs, it w- he would have been, like, the field commander of that team, you know? Exactly. And that would have been really sweet. Yeah, it would have changed Cyclops' role, that's for sure. Pretty sweet. I recommend this issue. I do. Highly. I think it's a really good, like, one-off standalone issue. You don't have to know anything. It's just a good Professor Xavier story. Yeah, nice one and done. So then in the next issue, 118, we get back to the rest of the X-Men crew who are on that Japanese fishing boat. And as they're sailing into harbor in Japan, they find... The entire city is engulfed in a firestorm, and it's an impressive two-page splash, but you immediately notice something different here, and the thing that is different is that this issue is not inked by Terry Austin, and the reason why is because he had a schedule conflict, and he wasn't able to get this one inked, and the story that I heard today from... For those of you who don't follow him, seek out at John Burns Says. It's a great Twitter account, and he's also on Tumblr. He's got a great Tumblr page. Tons of John Burns stuff. You definitely want to follow it. So he was telling me that, uh, he pointed me to John Burns Forum, which is burnrobotics.com. Also really cool. And if you're, if you dig this Burn Claremont stuff, Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief editor at the time, also has a great blog. 
as well, where he t- tells lots of stories about what yeah. happened here. And um, Burns' story on his forum was that he asked Jim Shooter if he could ink the issue himself, and Shooter said, no, you're not good enough. So he hired Rick Villamonte, who had recently inked an issue of The Avengers. And for those of you who say, what difference does the inker make on a book? Just take a look at the the Byrne-Austin run, and then look at this issue, and you've got your answer, what the difference an inker can make. This doesn't look much like John Byrne to me at all. Yeah. And uh, the really interesting thing is that uh, since he had been inking the Beast... In the Avengers, when he got to the pages at the beginning of the story, with Wolverine, he drew Wolverine's face to look like the Beast. So they brought in Marie Severin to try to fix the faces as best as she can. So you've got the work of three different artists on all these Wolverine faces. And you can really see it. This panel in particular, what page is that? Page 7. Page 7, the center bottom. Uh... I mean, that looks like the Beast. Yeah, so this is the first page, actually, now that you say that. So, um, just an interesting little tidbit, courtesy of at John Byrne says. So, uh, this story, yeah, Firestorm. And they rush into the city to see if they can help, but they're heading for the Yoshida clan house. Yeah. The Ancestral Manor. To try to find Sunfire, right? Is that the reason they're going there? Yeah. Because they're trying to basically get out. They just want to, they just want, like, this is still part of, like, their quest to get back to the mansion mm-hmm. to get to Xavier. Like, they're all worried about him. They've been stuck at sea. They weren't able to, like, make contact while they were on the fishing boat. And so, really, they like, they want to help out, but I think Scott's still kind of stuck in that mindset that he was when they were in the Savage Land, where it's like, just I'd love to home. help, but i got to get home. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And it just kind of sucks that they keep on running into these ridiculous, you know, obstacles. So then when they wind up at the, you know, the Yoshida compound, basically, like, they're stopped by big bright lights and guards screaming, intruders at them, and Sunfire pops out, and Cyclops screams that they're coming in peace. And, uh, why the hell is Misty Knight there? She is working for, um, the Prime Minister. Ah. Uh, she explains it. She explains it. The reason Misty Knight is there is because John Byrne is also working on <laughs> Iron, Iron Fist. Man and Iron Fist at this point. <laughs> yeah. Or was well, he, it, it was just had. it was just Iron Fist. It was Iron Fist, yeah. And when he left that book he brought Colleen Wing and Misty Knight with him. Yeah. All of a sudden I was like, there's a lot of like Iron Fist references all of a sudden popping up everywhere and then I looked through my Iron Fist collection and I was like, ah, no shit. Yeah. And you also notice there are some, there's a Spider-Man appearance later in the issues that we're going to discuss tonight because they were also working on Marvel Team Up. Alright. Since we're, uh, since we're discussing Misty Knight, I noticed that you didn't say that she was a comic crush, Jerry. What's your problem? I hate people with bionic arms. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I said I didn't like Misty Knight. I guess there really isn't anything It's wrong sticking with you now. I should... Man, she is busty in these panels. <laughs> Look at... 
Yeah, yeah, no. Don't think the the over the shoulder a gun holster and the tight black shirt. Yeah, she had a whole coming around. Pam Greer vibe going yeah. on in this man. She's definitely Pam Greer. Hoop earrings. Yeah, she's got it going on. Not gonna lie. We turned you around at one panel. One panel. It's a magic panel. Hey, look at that. Sunfire being a dick. <laughs> hey, man. By the end of this story, we're going to like Sunfire. Mind your place, woman. She put him in his place pretty quick. Colleen Wing doesn't take shit from Shiro. So uh, then Scott comes over, uses the phone, tries to call the mansion, but the mansion, all the mansion's lines have been disconnected because Professor X was like, See you later. I'm going to be the first man to have sex in space. Except for your dad. Because your dad had sex in space. <laughs> you know that's where he went. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Seriously. Yeah. I, I believe it. If I was an astronaut, that'd be like number one on my list. So then you get a bunch of interludes, which are, you know, typical for... Oh, a- but one important interlude. Uh, when Scott first walks into the room, somebody takes notice, and that somebody is Colleen Wing. So that's Scott Summers, huh? What a hunk, she says. Pity Misty says he's spoken for. Or maybe he's not, Good Colleen. News, Colleen. He thinks his girlfriend is dead. So you know what he does? Finds the first one that says yes. Hey, she was after him. And all he ever did was hold hands. That's true. Take that, Cyclops haters. He, he was looking to go slow. He wasn't... I mean... You know, my, I was getting a little bit feelings hurt that he would go out on Gene like that so fast, but it's not that fast. We'll get to Gene in a minute. Yeah. So in the meantime, Wolverine walks in on a very fetching Japanese lass. They introduce each other, themselves to each other, and Wolverine says his he's called Wolverine. And she says, that's a name? And he says, no, not really. Between friends, my name is Lo... And then he's interrupted. Because the ground below them explodes. By the mandroids. These mandroids are popping up everywhere. And they quickly take out Sunfire. And the X-Men fight back. They retreat. The mandroids retreat. They think they're getting away in a truck when two steely hands reach up out of the ground in the road and grab the front end of the truck and tear it to shit. X-Men are victorious. Yep. Until Moses Magnum shows up. Claiming if they haven't accepted him as their ruler by midnight, he will sink Japan. Which brings us to issue 119, which we've already discussed an episode, in our Christmas episode, the all-new... Spectacular. Giant Size. Seek it out. It is. It's a really fun episode, people. We're very proud of that one. We recorded that one under Sean's Christmas tree. It was great. So, do we really want to spend much time here? This is a really cool issue. I mean, I like it. I just feel like we've already talked about it. Yeah, everything cool that happened we would have already discussed in the Christmas episode. They fight Moses Magnum in his cool volcano lair, um, using a combination yeah. of, of their powers. They penetrate his base. Oh, and we got the great panel of Colossus when when Banshee finally takes out the 
Banshee blows out his voice in this issue, so that is kind of important that we need to talk about right. that. Right, like, we should mention that. Yeah. In a battle with, with Moses Magnum, he tries to destroy the base with his voice. He does. He succeeds, but... Uh, he does. At the cost of, basically, his power, which... <laughs> I still love the panel of Colossus with his fingers and his <laughs> yeah. ears. There's a strip of... Of everybody's faces across the page, across the center of the page, and everybody's covering their ears, and Colossus is doing the old index God, fingers. He looks like Scratch. He does look like Scratch. Don't worry about it, people. You don't need to know who that is. Yeah. So then when he's in the hunt, so, you know, Dave saved, Banshee's saved, you know, the world again because he's a badass. I would just like everyone to know Banshee's a great X-Man. He is. He should be brought back to life. It's an atrocity. He should. And... I demand that it happen soon. Peter David's X-Factor book would be a perfect place for him. Is there something about that book that makes you think he might do it? Or is no, it just I, you just, think it's a good my, spot? My wish is that Peter David would bring him back because Peter David does good things with characters that other writers tend to think don't deserve yeah. fair treatment. And he kind of fell into that, though, right? I mean, he was forced yeah, into that. Yeah, it wasn't the hand that he wanted, originally. but I mean, he did an excellent job with it. Turns out he's good at it, so he's, yeah. he's embraced the role. So then, you know, fast forward a few days, Banshee gets out of the hospital and he's all bummed because none of the X-Men came and visited him on his last day there to bring him home. And when he gets back, he's like, ah, thinking about how he might retire and take some time off, go see Moira, because, you know, he's not really feeling the team vibe because he feels like they've kind of forgotten about him and he shows up and there's a big welcome back Sean Merry Christmas banner and they have a party for him and it's totally awesome it is. and this is this is where they're really starting to gel like as, collectively as a group this is where they they stop being a team and start really becoming a family yeah and like Storm actually puts it into words in her head in a thought bubble which you never see anymore and uh, she says to Nightcrawler, she says, Kurt, I just wanted to tell you that I love you very much. And kisses him on the cheek, and he's just so happy. And after she tells Kurt that she loves him, she goes to talk to Peter, who's out on the balcony. And he's kind of homesick. Yeah. Because pointing out that they've all, they all came as loners, but he came with a family, and he's missing them. And at this point, the original intention was that they were going to start phasing Peter out. What? He was going to go back home. That was... Good thing they didn't do that. I'm really happy they didn't. I was shocked to hear it. But I guess that's true. Uh, and I can't remember what made them change their minds about that. But uh, he does stick with the book until they kill him off. Spoilers. Yeah. So the book ends with Jean arriving on Muir Island. and uh, Well, Scotland. And she's greeted by Moira McTaggart and Alex Summers and Lorna Dane who have quit mutant heroics and just want to live a new like a They're trying normal to quit. life. Yeah. And uh, Jamie Madrox is there. Mm-hmm. Not the slapstick Jamie Madrox we know these days. Just a really quiet dude who barely ever does anything. Yeah. And then at the very end, a quick cameo of Angus McWhirter, <laughs> the, uh, the forlorn uh, hovercraft owner <laughs> who lent the hired out his hovercraft to the X-Men and they promptly destroyed it within five minutes of leaving the dock. Yeah. And he's he's at uh Muir Island to get revenge on the X-Men and he stumbles across a door that we saw a few issues ago. Magneto saw the same door and accidentally knocked it open. So Angus comes across it 
And it's the last mistake he'll ever make. Issue 120. We're just going to leave that dangling plot thread. That plot thread gets dangled from issue... One... Nineteen. Thirteen. When Magneto is there, it's like 113. And really it had happened several issues before that because it was a flashback. Until 126. Five? Five. Four. 124. Is when they finally pick up that seriously. So in issue 120 we get, oh this is exciting, the very first appearance of Alpha Flight. Exciting for who? Exciting for Canadians, dude. And me. Now, Alpha Flight had its moment in the 80s, but they've kind of faded into obscurity, I think, for the most part. But when they, they try to bring them back every couple of years, I, I all right. I nobody's agree. buying that they're ser- a serious threat to anything. But when this really did a number on them, when they first, sh- yeah, he did. <laughs> Jesus, who did that guy become? Fuck if I remember. Omega something. Yeah, yeah. And he was okay. in the Dark X Men. Yes. Yeah, and then he was in Christos Gage X Men Legacy for a while. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. I take that back about Alpha Flight. They're, they're, but unfortunately, so during like, that the, during that Avengers story, all of Alpha Flight got killed off. Yeah, and then they were brought back during the Chaos Hercules War. Chaos War. Yeah. Okay, so now status quo is that they are all alive. I did not finish Chaos War. It's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they're all alive. They had a mini series that. Yeah. Frack. Who wrote that? It might have been. Probably Greg Pack or Fred Van Lente. They seem like the yeah dudes. Yeah, I think that's right. That on. Yep. And that was not, I did not enjoy that as much as I was hoping to. Yeah, it's one. They're one of those teams where I always want to like them, but unfortunately, by the time that I got around to reading comics, they were the Canadian superhero right. team that kind of sucked. Well, in the eighties, when I was a kid and I was digging mutant books, Alpha Flight was hot, right. and it. Uh, before Jim Lee showed up on the X-Men, he was drawing Alpha Flight. And let me tell you, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and John Byrne did the first few arcs of Alpha Flight. But before all of that, there was X-Men 120. And it's the first time they show up. And this Alpha Flight is a legit superhero group. These yeah. guys are powerful as hell. The cover for issue 120 was drawn by... Bob Badansky. 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 The, issue, the cover to issue 120 was drawn by Bob Badansky. And I think it's the only cover we've seen from him so far. I don't remember if he does any in the future. But um, a departure from the covers we've seen before. It's a great cover. And never noticed until today when I read it that, that he did it. Nice job. Uh, the X-Men are finally on a plane heading home to New York. We'll just introduce them. There's Guardian, who's the leader, in his fancy red and white patriotic maple leaf uniform. And the rest of the team are the twins, North Star and Aurora, who are super speedy, and when they hold hands, they can flash super bright light. Yep. Shaman, who is a Native American Can we just witch focus doctor. here on his real name? I'm sorry. <laughs> Michael Two Youngman, which is... Uh, well, we won't talk about how I got that name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Snowbird, who is actually secretly some kind of goddess yeah. in human form and can shape change 
into different Arctic animals of enormous size. And lastly, but not leastly, Walter Lankowski. Doctor. Doctor Walter Lankowski, Sasquatch, who later will have a very complicated history where he ends up in a female body, still in love with Aurora. It's crazy. Crazy. She's not down with that, but he's very down with that. <laughs> They're not there yet. And, and young Jerry was very down with that. I was like, I want to see that play out. Why is she so frigid? Uh, so they decide, uh, along with the, the Prime Minister of Canada, who, this is the actual Prime Minister of Canada at the time, makes an appearance, and I guess it got lots of, uh, TV coverage in Canada. Oh yeah? Yeah, so they, like it was, That's awesome. it was a big bump for the X-Men sales in Canada at the time. Um, they decide it's time to bring Weapon X Wolverine back to Canada to finish out his service so they can get their money's worth out of him. And, they use Shaman to create a storm of such size and ferocity that it forces the airplane that the X-Men are on to land in Calgary. Or, I'm sorry, it was called Calgary in the 70s. Now it's called Calgary, because for some reason Canadians changed their accent, and they just decided it's Calgary now. So whatever. Sweet. So they're forced to land. They Nightcrawler looks out the window as the plane's trying to taxi and is not budging and sees something straight out of a Twilight Zone episode. Yep, like, Shatner, shut the fuck up. Just buckle <laughs> your seatbelt. <laughs> and it is Sasquatch who has grabbed hold of one of the engines and is keeping the plane from moving. And not only that, but he picks up the plane, which they describe as being 250 tons. 250 tons. Yeah. And he tosses it hundreds of yards across the airport into a hangar. Look at the panel of, like, Banshee, Colossus, and Nightcrawler coming out of the airplane. Like, what airplane? (laughs) Shouldn't they be in seats? This is like a futuristic... No, dude. This is like a luxury liner. There's couches and... Colossus is already in a rope. Look at him. This thing was built at the height of Pan Am. I'm telling you, there's, like, hot, hot flight attendants and... Oh, a dual female flight crew, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, of course, they all make passes at them, but whatever. Uh, but it, when when uh, Sasquatch throws a plane and it explodes, there isn't much of a fire, but in the ensuing wreckage, the uh, X-Men are able to escape. So can we stop? Is there time to stop and discuss the relative strengths of Marvel's strongmen? Sasquatch bursts onto the scene. You've never seen him before, and this guy is strong as fuck yeah i mean they they throw around the term class 100 strength which is supposed to mean the ability to press at least 100 tons if only we were recording this in my marvel room i would be able to reference the 1991 card series with the power bars on the back oh you know what i'm talking about yeah i don't have any of them but i know just what you mean we could go back to my 1985 ohatmu and reference, they they don't ever do a collection of everybody's strengths. No. No. Not that I remember. But it's oh, older than yours, so it's better. Original handbook of the Marvel Universe? That's right. Look at you and your abbreviation. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Tell I wore that thing. thing out. Yeah? Yes. I love reading that thing. I think I've got a complete run of those. They're awesome. John Byrne covers on those. 
So yeah, this Sasquatch, Sasquatch is clearly in that class. Uh, when he throws the airplane, somebody makes a comment, or maybe it's not when he throws the airplane, but at some point in this issue, somebody makes a comment, I thought only the Hulk could do something like that. So they're immediately telling you this guy is as strong as the Hulk. Which is pretty freaking strong. And Hulk fans will hate that. Hulk fans will hate that because Hulk is the strongest one there is. So that leads me to a discussion I saw on the John Byrne forum where they were discussing strength, specifically Sasquatch and and Colossus because they fight in this issue. Okay. Hand to hand. And uh, it was kind of thrown around that it's generally considered that of all the strong men of the Marvel Universe... Colossus is considered one of the weaker ones. And it broke my heart to hear that. But it really is kind of true. And if I were to go to the the Marvel handbook, I don't remember what his strength rating is. Like if I want to say he's somewhere around 65 tons. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't Maybe know. I'll put an I, editor's note in. I have no that. idea cuz I always like those types of conversations always weird me out. Because I think a lot of people don't put um, heart into the equation. Right. You know? Well, it's interesting that you mention that because in a couple issues there's something dedicated to the importance of your heart and dedication to your strength. Um, but that, yeah, I think, like, I, you know, it's one of those things where, like, when people always ask me that question, I, I usually always tend to go with Spider-Man because I just don't think that he'd quit. Yeah, well, they they did that that uh, the the last issue of the Ditko run, like the famous cover. Yeah, thirty three. Yeah, I mean Spider Man thirty three. Yeah, or he's underwater. Right, he didn't quit. No, that was way more weight than he's that's, supposed that's, to be able. Honestly, to, that's to what lift. always like. I mean, there's multiple things that I didn't like about the event fear itself, but that was one of the when everybody started to like splinter off. He was like, "Oh shit, I gotta go chuck on Aunt May." It's like, what the fuck. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyways. So, oh, going back to the strength thing with Colossus. I don't want to wear this out too much. I'm sorry. But uh, it got me thinking that Rogue stole Miss Marvel's powers. Yes. So theoretically, Miss Marvel, I think, might, and therefore Rogue might be stronger than Colossus too, which is crazy. Because yeah. Colossus just looked like he should be the strongest one. Yeah, but I think like you're factoring the fact that he's like a gentle yeah. dude. He's an artist. So I think that he doesn't want to like smash people's faces in. Usually. Yeah, unless you're reading Astonishing X-Men and then he's got a reason. Like yeah. I think it takes a lot to get him or to where... Or Mutant Massacre. Yeah, like, <laughs> but once he's there, it's like, look the fuck out, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I think that he's not like automatically a violent person. Right, no. No, I agree. Editor's note, I'm going to try to settle this with some official Marvel numbers from the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, the first edition. Uh, We've got Colossus rated as being able to press 70 tons, which is close to what I originally thought. But they state that he, at the time, he was just a teenager and his strength is likely to increase. So there's hope for us Colossus fans. Sasquatch is given an equal rating of 70 tons. And they say in the handbook that he threw this DC-10 
and that it only weighed 25 tons, which is a lie. Thinking that Claremont made an error when writing Uncanny X-Men 120, I verified the weight of a DC-10. It is, in fact, 250 tons, and therefore Sasquatch was able to throw a 250-ton airplane a 1,000 feet. So make of that what you will. To shape out the rest of the list, we've got Rogue, who is rated to be able to press 50 tons, so not as strong as Colossus as I may have, as I thought. The Thing is stated to be able to press 85 tons, Thor 95 tons, the Hulk 90 tons under regular conditions, and the Abomination and Hercules both exceeding 100 tons. And then the caveat for the Hulk is that the upper limits of his strength are not known, but fans of Secret Wars will remember that in issue 4, I think, he was able to support an entire mountainside while the rest of the heroes were trapped underneath it. So there you go. I'm sorry, I thought that would be an interesting conversation, but you, know, it is. you don't seem into it. We can move on. We can move on. But I mean, you know where, like, the, that's one of those conversations where it's like, my stance isn't, like, rooted in any type of knowledge. Like, I think it depends on circumstance, I think it depends on, like, I mean, you know, you're about fucking moms lifting cars off of babies and shit, so <laughs> who am I to say who's strong and who's not? Yeah. I can lift a car. Yeah. I probably can't lift any cars. Fuck, man. If Finn was trapped under a car, I could lift a car. a boy. I'm going to keep you around. Because I really don't think I could do it. I'm stronger than I look. You don't look very strong. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the X-Men escape into the city. And uh, Cyclops immediately tells them all to split up and meet at the big tower in the center of town. And they do. No, they don't. <laughs> well, what? No, they don't. They do. Well, they don't all split up. Bullshit. They do not meet up there. Nightcrawler oh, gets oh, they don't meet up there. Okay, I thought you meant they don't split up. No, Nightcrawler gets fucking attacked by Northstar and Aurora, and he can't hide in the shadows, so they're able to pummel him, which is bullshit. And I think that's the first time you get to see all of Nightcrawler's face. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It's a cool looking panel. Nice course, coloring. There's now there's a holes that draw them that way all the time. Yeah, and they're losers because they don't know what they're doing. And then I, I love this whole sequence of events because when Cyclops tells them to split up, it's basically like split up and meet there pretty quickly, guys. We got to get the f out of here. And Banshee and Storm decide <laughs> that Storm looks too recognizable, so they've got to get her some clothes. So they go into a department store. And Banshee, like, now understand, this is a, this is one issue after him getting out of the hospital and dealing with the whole, my throat's fucked up, I can't use my mutant power anymore. So what is he doing? Smoking a pipe. And he says, the doctors say I shouldn't be doing this, but, you know. And he talks about hanging up his tights, not being a swashbuckler anymore, maybe settling down. And then Storm comes out, she's all dressed up, and... Everybody asks what Banshee thinks of it, and he's like, well, I'm not so sure. Uh, not enough skin, basically, is yeah. what he says. Banshee. Like, uh, what does he say? Oh, he says, I don't know. I guess I'm used to seeing her in the wild. 
And Jerry McDade, young Jerry McDade was like, fucking A, Cassidy. <laughs> well, I mean, he's right. Preach. Yeah. That's what you But you don't say it out loud. But I like that Storm agrees with him. She like, does. I like the cut of your jib, Cassidy. Yeah. Just get me out of this stuff. Get, get me out of these clothes and fast. So then, of course, what does Vindicator do? Starts smashing the place up. Melts through the roof. That's pretty sweet. And when Sean sees her, or sees him, he's immediately reminded of how he uh, zapped Moira in the head. And he didn't take too kindly of that. So like an idiot, his reflexes take over. He tries to scream at him, and he crumples to the floor in pain. And, but uh, luckily, like, this is the moment where I was like, all right, maybe he's not a total dick. Because he is, cons- like, the second he sees Banshee drop, he's like, holy vi- shit, yeah. I gotta help him out. But unfortunately, Storm's like, let me get out of these clothes. And fuck your shit up, Vindicator, because I'm tired of you. And this is what I was mentioning before. In this panel where she she breaks out her powers, you get to see some really awesome Terry Austin brushwork on here. Um, the background around her turns blue and black, stormy looking. And, you know, her hair is white, and the transitions with these wide brush strokes from her, her white hair into the black storm cloud... And that becomes just like a, an iconic thing that he does whenever she manifests her powers from now on throughout this run. It, it's awesome looking. It is. It deserves a shout out. It does. What also deserves a shout out is the fact that when I was rereading this, it reminded me of the very first X-Men cartoon episode. Well, not the very first because there was Pride of the X-Men before it, but the 1990s X-Men cartoon, the first like time that you see Storm use her powers is in a mall. Oh, so is when they were in the shopping, yeah, hey. right of the Sentinels Part One, when they're tracking down, when they wind up running into Jubilee and the Sentinels, and so I don't know. I thought that was cool, and plus, yeah, nice callback so, to the cartoon by Byrne here. That's yeah, good. Slurmo hates the cartoon, so I need to bring it up now at every chance I get. <laughs> Wait, so I'm Slurmo this, hates something. Slurmo hates the cartoon and Storm, so I think we should spend a lot of time on this. Well, yeah, clearly. So, um, on his way, oh, another shout, art shout out to all the backgrounds that they do in these books, like fully rendered buildings with signs, it's crazy detail. I love it. But, um, Wolverine unfortunately runs into Sasquatch in a dark alley and does not fare very well. He's taken out immediately. Yeah. And that is the end of 120. They're in oh. trouble. Two of them are already taken out. No, but there's a badass Cyclops moment at oh, the very end of it. Cause of course, Sean's got to point that out. I do. You do. Go ahead. But because at the moment, like, Banshee and Storm show up, Colossus is there, so now it's the four of them, because Nightcrawler's gone, Wolverine's gone, so they got to find him. And so now uh, they're all together, and they're in good shape, because they're not split up. Exactly. Good job, Cyclops. So uh, he basically says, the X-Men didn't start this fight, people, but we're sure as hell going to finish it. If we're necessary, sure as hell going to... Yeah. Sorry. Whoa. Root that out. <laughs> he even words. says, if necessary, over Alpha Flight's dead fucking bodies. Yeah. F-bomb. Cyclops don't take no shit. Issue 121 is continuation of this fight with Alpha Flight. This time it's a Cockrum cover. And an awesome one. And we finally get what's left of the X-Men going toe-to-toe with the entirety of Alpha Flight. And 
you get the sense immediately that uh, there's a lot of tension here. And um, the first person to crack is the one you might not expect. It's Colossus. He gets a little paranoid, possibly, thinking that Northstar is trying to creep around behind behind Cyclops and get the drop on him. Yeah. And he does the old stomp move on the ground and knocks everybody off their feet. Sasquatch doesn't like that. Punches out Colossus and the fight is on. And Nightcrawler and Wolverine fake out of flight and suddenly they're back in the fight. Yeah, so now everybody's back at full strength. Except for Banshee, because he was smoking. Don't smoke, kids. <laughs> Don't smoke, for God's sake. Did you notice that Wolverine got taken out while he was smoking, too? See, he shouldn't do it. Yeah. Shouldn't do it. Uh, Although, I'm going to admit, kids... Don't smoke, but it's okay for Wolverine and Nick Fury. Yes. And Gambit. Have we already mentioned on the show? Gambit was cooler when he was smoking. Fuck you, Don. Gambit was never cool. He was. Um, Did you notice it looks like the smoking ban's gone? Everybody's smoking all over the place in Marvel Comics. What? Yeah. Swear. I swear. It's happening. I should have written down what issues it's happening in. But yeah, I've seen several, several times. I've not seen it. Yeah. It's happening. Mrs. is back. Uh, so, um... Shaman. Shaman. So Shaman does a pretty cool thing. He pulls some totems out of his magic bag and uh, animates them. And they attack Wolverine. So, oh, they attack Cyclops. Yeah, I would also like to say that when, um, he, when Wolverine's being attacked by Shaman, he says cripes. Yeah. Now, this has been something that Wolverine's been saying for the entirety of the X-Men run that we've been rereading from Giant Size. And the reason why I point that out is um, last year when Savage Wolverine started, one of the biggest complaints that I saw when uh, Frank Cho was writing and drawing it, and I love that first arc that Frank Cho was doing. We was did a, discuss that. We did. Did we, we discuss we the, the... We talked about Cripes a little bit. We did? But we can okay. do a reset, because here's a perfect just, illustration. This is a perfect example. On page 15, he says Cripes again, because everybody that I saw on message boards and Twitter were like, oh my god, Wolverine's written so out of character. He keeps on saying the word Cripes. It's like, I've seen Wolverine in this reread say Cripes more than he's ever said, I'm the best that there is at what I do, or Bub, or any of his catchphrases. So... Yeah. The bubs start coming fast and furious. I'm right sure about they now replace too. cripes, but I would just like people to know your history, fuckers. Yeah, cripes, cripes, cripes. Know your history. Know your history. This cripes, this for Schluggener podcast. <laughs> those for Schluggener message boards. You shouldn't go on those message. I shouldn't. Boards. I got it. Pull the plug on my internet life. Except for the EOC eleven o'clock comics forum, which you should go to because the Earth Two podcast network has a thread there, and you can visit us and leave your thoughts and comments and your love of the X-Men. Yeah. Now, I have a, I have a question here about page 16. Um, there's obviously, like, um, Shaman has created this storm. The storm that they created to uh, knock down the plane mm-hmm. has started to get completely out of control. Right. And so we cut away to the inside of a restaurant... At the top of that tower, whatever it was yes. called. Yes. And uh, it seems that there is a woman named Darice and a man named John. And they're eating. It's like, oh, it's the first time we're getting out. We're on a hot date. We went and saw Grease on Broadway. <laughs> and I was like, is John Byrne's wife? Is this his wife? I'll bet it's his girl. 
Yeah. I'm sure it's his girl. I don't, I, I can't tell you more. I, I know people who could tell us. Okay. But, um, it's too late now. We're already recording. Okay. Well, it could be. It's J- clearly John Byrne. Yeah. Except he's got blonde hair instead of red. I didn't know. But, you know um, there seemed to be a lot of focus put on Doris's face in this panel. Uh-huh. Like she, like, looks like that was purposely done to look like someone. So I was like, oh, I wonder yeah. if there's a connection to Byrne. I guarantee that one Wednesday night back in the 70s, John Byrne was getting some. <laughs> In gratitude. F, F for taking his lady to Greece on Broadway and yeah. drawing her in a comic? she took him to Greece later. Gross. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know. So, Let's uh, go. Knock down, drag out. Uh, <laughs> there's an awesome page. Sasquatch and Colossus are going toe-to-toe, but at one point, Sasquatch clearly has a size advantage over Colossus. And he pulls the big brother move on him with the stiff arm, <laughs> grabbing him by the forehead while Colossus is just swinging away at the air. And uh, Cyclops, being the leader he is, tell him he has a brain. Why doesn't he use it? And uh, Colossus breaks out the judo moves and gets the best of Sasquatch. Oh, awesome. But it is so, dude, the physical humor in <laughs> they're pulling out with Colossus lately. Lately, back in the 70s, is pretty good. Nightcrawler and Aurora are having a, an enjoyable fight between the two of them. They're both having a good time. But then Kurt teleports onto her and gives her a smooch and to- teleports away. Yeah. And she takes exception to that. Uh, and here we see the first swashbuckling Kurt, I think. As he disappears, he yells, Tally Ho. I like that. Yeah. And that's when, during, while that's all going on, is when they start to put together that the storm has gotten out of hand. Yeah, it really out of hand. Like, it's about to destroy the city. Now, I got a quick question for our listeners, because there's an ad in here that I was curious about. (gasps) So there's an ad in my comic um, for the all-new Fantastic Four television cartoon series. Heck yes. Now, my question is, the Fantastic Four is Mr. Fantastic, the thing, Sue Storm, and Herbie. Herbie. Where's Johnny? They didn't have the rights to use Johnny. That's my recollection. So they created Herbie. You know, because of the kid demographic, they wanted to do something a little friendlier. I don't think they were able to use Johnny Storm, and I can't remember why, but they replaced him. Well, if anybody knows why, that's what Twitter's tweeted at me. Yeah, uh, there's always Google, too, but... Editor's note, Marvel had recently sold the rights to Universal to develop a pilot for a Human Torch series. Universal was in the middle of developing that series when when Marvel decided to launch this Fantastic Four cartoon with another production company. Since Universal was not involved in the production, they didn't allow the use of the character. I watched the heck out of that cartoon. Yeah? I loved Herbie. I had no, you know, I was... I got a Herbie action figure. I don't know. I was like five years old when that came out. So, I, you know, I loved it. Uh, there was also a Thing cartoon that came out around then that was terrible. Yeah. The Thing, like, had a magic ring, and he was a li- he was like Shazam. Or he was like Captain Marvel, I guess. He, okay. you know, he put this ring on and he turned Who into the, the Thing. Shazam? Shazam, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. See how I got it wrong? Because I don't even know anything about...
Oh. Because for kids and idiots. Where were we? Storm's raging out of control. And Storm's raging out of control. Yeah, she is. She taps in to the electrical potential energy of the Earth itself to calm the storm, leaving her completely spent. But she saved everyone in the city, including Alpha Flight. And North Star, being the type A personality he is, thanks her with a punch to the back of the skull at super speed. Good thing Cyclops there to optic blast the holy hell out of that jerk. He did. You know, I always thought that Northstar was like the biggest dick. Like the biggest dick. I was a big Alpha Flight fan, like I said. Yeah. And uh he's got the he's got the fucking Quicksilver. Like this is the right. problem. Like you introduced this character guys. as a dick, Sunfire. Like I couldn't shake it for years, basically up until the age of apocalypse, and then like then I finally come around on it. Northstar, di- I've never been able to shake the fact that he was a dick. Hey, we got to go back to the the Sunfire. I never gave him his props at the end. Oh, he does say that if you ever need me. Yeah, he he shakes Cyclops's hand with yeah. a warm smile and says, "If you ever need me, just call." Yeah. All right, I'll so, give it to him. So, like, they they parted on good terms at the end of that story, finally. Yeah. And Quicksilver, too. Like, he was always written like an asshole to me. Yeah. But, um, like, later on, Rogue gets sweet on North Star. And he's kind of a jerk to her. But then he kind of warms to her a little bit. At least enough to be nice to her and humor her. Yeah. And I was like, what is this guy's problem? He's gay. That's his problem. He's not into chicks. Like, he really was humoring her. He had no interest in her. And when I finally found that out, like, the 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 size of the light bulb that finally went on over my head, I was like, oh, it all makes sense. He's just mad because he's in the closet. And he's so much happier now. True. He's like a completely different character now. But that was a that was a dick move that he pulled on Storm. I'm not yeah. really happy. Yeah, Cyclops was going to punch him out, but Cyclops, but Wolverine, yeah, pulls the old switcheroo and stops Cyclops. Yeah, he. What does he say? As it is, you're going to lose some teeth. That doesn't sound like Cyclops. Wolverine talks sense into him, and he says, "Guys, this fight's over. I'm going to go back with him. I never intended for all this to happen. I'm going to go back." And they walk him into this. This armored car with this... Looks like the walls are about three feet thick on it. And they lock him inside and drive away. X-Men are escorted by fighter planes out of Canada. And they decide as soon as they cross the border, they're going to sneak back and save him. And from the front of the plane, you hear, yeah, you don't need to do that. And it's Wolverine, baby. Busted out of the truck and went home with them. Take that, Canadians. Wasgo. Probably not even listening, jerk. Probably not. <laughs> Shane. Yeah, Shane. If that is your real name. Whirlwind X Kevin. Canadians. No, we gotta get going. Alright, so the next issue. This is the one we thought we would breeze through pretty quickly. Um, it does have some cool moments. It does have good... Yeah, as I reread it, I was like, oh, this is actually a good issue. But on the front cover, you see Colossus... Uh, looks like he's about to be crushed by a vice. Him and Wolverine about to be crushed by a vice in the danger room. As Scott looks on in horror. And the splash page at the beginning is exactly the same scene. He's in this press and he's saying, I can't do it, I can't do it. 
And Cyclops and Wolverine are like, what's this guy's problem, man? The thing's barely turned on, and he's saying he's not strong enough. He can easily do this. So, <laughs> badass Wolverine walks up to the control panel, leans up against it with his knuckles, and you see, snicked! And he goes, alright, I'll be seeing ya, and walks away, and Cyclops sees six little semicircles yep. <laughs> punctured, punctured through the control panel. Wolverine enters the danger room, climbs in the vice with him, and says, if you get squished, we get squished. That was a pretty awesome move, actually. Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, Colossus responds, and he crushes the vice. A very expensive mistake, and one that Wolverine regrets because Cyclops makes him fix it. (laughs) (laughs) I like this, too, because the sequence, um, which is actually pretty... So it, uh, it, it cuts to Cyclops using the communicator to, uh, talk to, uh, Banshee and Nightcrawler. And Banshee is teaching Nightcrawler how to fix the Blackbird. Which I just thought was cool because they stuck with that. Like, Nightcrawler was always one of the people that worked on the Blackbird. And in X-Men number one in 91, Banshee's working on the Blackbird. Nice. So, a little continuity there. Yeah. Well, it's all the same writer. Yeah. For a short time, until they throw Claremont under the bus and then quit. Motherfuckers. Screw you, Image. Marvel's where it's at. Yeah. Oh, let's drop another one. Let's drop another number one. Oh, yeah. Oh, number one. Number one. Uh, uh, uh. Image now. Uh, uh. Oh, wait. Nope, that's Marvel. My bad. Son cuts away to Xavier and Lalandra. She's now dressed in Xavier. Sign number two that he could get out of there. <laughs> what is the dude wearing? This looks like one of the... Um, Imperial Guard uniforms or something. Yeah. Who's the guy with the the, the eye beams? Impulse? What was that guy's name? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, uh, Trouble in Paradise. Neither one of them are very happy. She's heavy weighs the crown. She's ready to get out of there and go back to Earth, and Professor X is right there with her. Yeah. Then we cut to Scotland, where uh, we have Jean for the first time bump into Jason Wingard. And I'm going to call this page 10 of issue 123. This is the first panel of the Dark Phoenix Saga. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta admit, like, reading this stuff, you know, because I always re-re- I read, reread the Dark Phoenix Saga every year, but reading this stuff, it was like, because oh, when you just read the trade of the Dark Phoenix Saga, it is kind of a little bit like, well, what do you mean Wingard's been messing with her for a while? Because you don't have some of the stuff that's being explained in here. Yeah. That, that pretty much everyone that she pops up, you know, pop, runs into her during this time period who's not someone that she's familiar with is actually um, revealed to be Jason Wingard messing with her. It's weird, the realization that, that this is where it begins. It's like all the air went out of the room. Yeah. You know, I just feel kind of sad about it. <sighs> Sigh and move on. So they do the first uh, shadow reveal yeah. of who he really is, uh, and he doesn't—he doesn't admit it by name, but you kind of get the idea. Storm and Logan hang out. Yeah, Logan. Storm uh, talks Logan into dropping her off in the middle of Harlem, which he thinks is a terrible idea. It is. She wants to go back to the home that her parents lived in. Where she was born. Mm Mm-hmm. Not that she was literally born in the home, but that's where they 
they made their home before they went to Africa and her parents died. Yeah, and when when Wolverine is uh, driving away in the side view mirror, he sees uh, he sees Mariko, and so he hops out of the car, goes running after her, but uh, they won't let him in. Cut back to Aurora, who finally, after hours of walk, wandering the city and getting a lot of stairs, um, finds the home where she grew up, an apartment building. And walks up to the apartment, uh, passing uh, a lot of trash on the ground, including used condoms and rolling papers. <laughs> kids comics back then, man. Just yeah. kids comics. Uh, she finds the apartment where she grew up, 5C. And what does she do? She just walks in the door without even knocking. Finds a bunch of junkies inside who immediately decide to murder her. And a kiss poster. I don't like what they're trying to say there. Kiss don't do drugs, man. Yeah. Uh, this is a really cool page where she walks in. And it's replicated on every page that follows it. Uh, the the walls in this flop house that she walks into are covered in graffiti. And the graffiti is all names of... Mar- Marvel staff members, yep. artists, writers, yeah, editors, Mark letters. Grunewald there. Yeah, uh, there's a Sterno, that's Roger Stern, the editor of the book at the time, uh, Bobby Wyacek, who will ink this book yeah. for a long time. Um, tons more. You, it's probably pretty easy to find on the internet if you're interested. But um, so she gets Storm gets attacked by a bunch of knife wielding junky kids. Uh, one of them cuts her hand, and then she flips oh, out. Oh, she gets pissed. That's she, a sweet-looking panel. Yeah. So, again, with the, the cool uh, Austin brushwork, but this time it's her entire body is in silhouette. Looks awesome. Um, and she blows the kids all over the place, except for the one that she knocked out first who had fallen behind her. And he's about to plunge his knife directly into her back when Power Man shows up and throws him into a wall lights out for this junkie kid and the day is saved they tell Aurora to get the heck out of there we can save humanity from Doctor Doom or Galactus but not from itself and I believe I might in 1997 in Operation Zero Tolerance um, there is a scene where one of the um, they're watching like um it's when Dr. Cecilia Reyes is watching the uh, television screen with a bunch of other, like, orderlies and nurses and techs in the hospital. And they're seeing, like, the Sentinels attack and stuff like that. And I want to say that one of the nurses, in his head, like, in the thought bubble, talks about how he used to... I believe he was one of the junkie kids from this issue and he talks about how when he saw Storm and she did this like that changed his life like he left and he got his life turned around and he went back to school and he became a nurse and he's referencing that because the whole argument at that scene is like the Sentinels become what are known as Prime Sentinels which means they can kind of uh, turn into human forms Mm -hmm. and so that like like Nimrod yeah basically And, and so one of the other like orderlies or something at the hospital is basically like fuck mutants yeah go get him and that guy is like no way man a mutant saved my life like and he describes storm so I believe 
I can check when I get home, but I think that oh, that's, yeah. he's actually one of the junkie kids from this issue. And I think in somewhere in the 200s, she has a run-in with him, too. Oh, no Like, way. I think he's kind of like a, a slight, huh. minor... I don't remember that. ...recurring character. Like I said, okay. my knowledge gets way better when we get yeah. later. Uh-huh. Um, right now, I'm kind of like, the stuff all hits me at once. You know, yeah. <laughs> I read it in big chunks. Right. So uh, then you see Colleen Wing going in for the uh, the kill with Cyclops. Hands she him does. A, hands him a key to her place. Don't do it, Scott. Don't do it. Do it, Scott. Do it. Hasn't even. They haven't even kissed, and she's giving out her keys. What does that tell you? Here's a note, Scott. Don't key- open it until I'm on the train and it's pulling away. Yeah, how many other keys do you think have been passed around town, Scotty? <laughs> the note has a key taped to it, and it says, "Drop by any old time." Call first in case I got oh. somebody else around. Oh, it doesn't say that. <laughs> then we cut to a prologue, and it's Black Tom and Juggernaut. This is weird. This should be an epilogue. It should be. This should be an epilogue. It should be. But it says prologue, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> but yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's just, uh, you know. Basically, Juggernaut bitching to Black Tom about the fact that he wants to go after the X-Men and he doesn't understand why we, why they have to get this extra guy involved. Black Tom is basically like, listen, you dumb fuck. We've tried it six times. Hasn't worked. <laughs> it's about time we bring in somebody else. And who do they bring in? Arcade. I was about to introduce him as one of the worst villains. I do think that, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, like... Reading this now, it's like he kind of looks like a, I want to say it was Chucky, like a mix of Chucky. And I'm like, God, I always thought the outfit was so awful. And then of course, like over the past two years, I've gotten into Doctor Who now, uh-huh. and there was a Doctor. I think it was played by Sylvester McCoy who just wore the most. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, that was a pretty bad outfit, too, but there was one that you swore like a we rainbow We cannot coat. talk about Doctor Who on here. Anyways, <laughs> just, just, it's a terrible outfit, but it's of the time. So of the time, yeah. this was probably, you know, like, oh, this well, is going to look zany and badass. I, they're probably going for, like, the Joker look. Yeah. You know? I, I can't say for sure, but... Um, you would love Doctor Who if you gave it a shot. I, yeah, it was all right. Ain't ain't nobody got time for that, Sean. So, before we get into 123, which was, as a kid, my first introduction to Arcade, and I think Arcade got the big eye roll from me, and still does, just because of the Arcade, and and it reminded me of that um, episode, The Funhouse. Everyone should search out the first attempt at an X-Men cartoon, which was um, the 1980s classic Pride of the X-Men. Hmm. And the animation in it is awesome. Like, I still like the 90s X-Men cartoon, and I will defend it to the death, although I know that the animation is a bit off, and it's really bad the latter half of the last season because they switched companies, mm-hmm. and it got really terrible. But Pride of the X-Men, if you can find it, it was only one. It was like basically a pilot that they were selling, and it didn't get picked up. It is awesome. Like, the only drawback is there's an Australian Wolverine. Yeah. That's the only <laughs> the drawback. The legendary Australian yeah. Wolverine. But it's got Dazzler in it. 
Uh-huh. It's got Nightcrawler in it. It's got Colossus in it. Like, the team is almost better than the original, like, 90s X-Men cartoon well, Gambit's team. not in it, so Fuck it's already you, better. Yeah, I see how this is going to go. Well, uh, I'm just, you, every time you bring up the cartoon, I'm reminded that they just dropped Gambit into all these awesome stories. Oh, Gambit was there for that. Because he was awesome. <sighs> you got to earn that, man. You can't just drop in because it's a cartoon. Hmm. They knew what was going to sell, and it clearly wasn't your boy Colossus. Yeah, clearly. Ruskies, right? Yeah. Can't, can't trust them. So the other thing that this reminds me of is the fucking Spider-Man and the X-Men in Arcade's Revenge Sega video game. Yes. It did the same fucking thing as Battletoads. I hate letter levels with water. And in this, there was a level where Storm was underwater. That's right. And this it was is, it, it was, was in it. the game. It was in the game, and it's in the comic. And I never finished it. I couldn't finish it, <laughs> and it never made any sense to me because she's shooting off lightning bolts while she's underwater. Well, she does it in the sh- in the issue. That's how she escapes. She just says her the scientific explanation is that she's very careful. Fair enough. I'll buy it. Comics. Comics. Folks. I'm okay with it. Comics, folks. I won't push it any further. So, Jerry, we're here in a hydro compound with our special guest, Baron Strucker. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and if you, uh, if you don't know who Baron Strucker is, Strucker, Baron Strucker, <laughs> you clearly, <laughs> you clearly have not been paying attention to our fantastic artwork for these episodes. So, the one question I have for you, the most important question is, why is Jerry McDade your muse? If, before I go into that, I is this one question I must ask? Is there any way possible you can make your podcast any fucking longer? <laughs> I mean, I only ha- I'm only have a worldwide organization to run, but I have endless hours to listen to her uh, pigeon uh, talk about his awkward ch- childhood. And of course, Tim McDade and his comic book masturbatory fantasies. Like, who haven't you masturbated to, McDade? Anyway, what was the question again? What about Jerry McDade makes him your muse? Well, in a way, Jerry was the reason I started Hydra. Because, you see, he's half a man, and Hydra is all about creating the greatest man, the Ubermensch, if you will. So he's almost a project, if you will. And if you look at him, he looks like Charlie Brown. (laughs) Honestly. You saw... If you thought of uh, Charlie McBrown, I almost said Jerry McBrown, it comes almost off the tongue so well, you would think Charlie Brown adult. And you, your relationship is like the Charlie Brown and the Lucy. So you're calling me a woman? No, 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 no. Or should I say nine, 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 nine? (laughs) (laughs) But there is obviously a weird sexual tension between you. Wouldn't you agree, McDade? I can feel the electricity in the room as we speak. Now... We need to discuss an upcoming film.
What would that be? Uh, Avengers 2, Age of Straka? <laughs> it should be, but we wanted to talk about Captain America. Oh, Captain America. What a vile human being he is. You're happy he's not on the X-Men? Of course. X-Men? The hell does the X-Men have to do with anything? Well, this is an X-Men related podcast. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I always assumed Great Expectations was the title because it was about the anticipation of me appearing on your show. So what are you going to... Are you going to still keep the name Great Expectations? Anyway, back to Captain America. Though it pains me to say this, I must say your audience must go see this movie. April 4th, 2014. Why, you ask? Why? What? Wait. <laughs> Great timing, Mickey Dade. <laughs> because a certain someone, I will not say who, will be appearing in the closing credits. Captain America? Maybe. <laughs> no. So you want people to see this propaganda in lives? No, no, no. no. I, I don't want them to, but they will have to. No... I have a better idea. Instead of paying to see this movie, you should go out, buy a ticket to, I don't know, the latest Tyler Perry opus. Then Medea, she is hilarious. We all agree with that. And then sneak in at the end of Captain America, see what you need to see, and then go home. Is there anything else you want to say to the listener? Yeah, about, yeah. About McDade. You mean Jerry McBrown? Yes. Nine. I will say, even though your podcasts are so damn long, you're doing a great job inserting all the subliminal messages into your podcast to turn any of your listeners into a Hydra suicide bomber. Very good. We do what we can. Of course. Jerry doesn't, but you do, and I am proud of that. Do you have some question about a Sasquatch, I hear? <laughs> That's right, we do. We do have a question about Sasquatch. We do. So we should probably ask Baron first, and then we'll ask him. No, I, I would like to hear what everyone else likes to say first. All right. So Jerry and I have been uh, discussing Uncanny X-Men 120 and 121, which is the first appearance of Alpha Flight. And there is a scene in that issue where Sasquatch lifts up a fucking airplane. And what was that? How, two tons, Higgin? It was 250 tons. Holy shit. Ooh. 250 tons. Now, is this like is Sasquatch like Stalin's man-apes? Is he like a, a Hydra concoction that you guys created for the Fuhrer? Nine. I'm waiting on your Sasquatch answer. Oh, well, who do you think the strongest person in the Marvel Universe is? Because supposedly, I mean... If after me. Much, after you. Best looking, smartest, you're richest. Best monocle. Best monocle. Best Moon of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. I saw you play beach volleyball, too. Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. Griffin? Strongest person in the Marvel Universe? Uh, I'm from the worst age of comics in the world. So I don't. I'm DC? not familiar with any Marvel people. I've heard of Dazzler though. I bet she could do a lot. 
Dazzler is a strong entry. At least she's a mutant. That's in the right direction. Yeah. Oh, yes, I forgot. This is a mutant show. She did almost best the Juggernaut once in hand-to-hand combat. So I'm not far off. But he buried her alive. So She had a good parting. Yes. She parted well. Scratch. Yeah. I don't have an answer for strong. I don't have an answer for strong. I have an answer for most powerful. All right. told me it was going to be. Ben Yurek. What the... He controls the information, therefore makes him the most powerful person in the Marvel Universe. Now, we need to get Hydra into gear. We need to get you more Twitter followers. Let's definitely do. That's That's part of the reason I'm here. I just wanted to be able to know. I'm not some figment of Herr McDade and Herr Pigeon's imagination. I exist. As you've seen by my great artwork I have done. Even, even... Quote unquote D list Marvel celebrities like Ryan Stegman, fans of your artwork. Really? Story. Put B in there instead of D. <laughs> I'll, I'll put B in there instead of D. So, <laughs> so Sean doesn't sound like an A hole. Very obvious. When Ryan listens to this episode. He does? Oh, sure. He doesn't listen to this. Well, you can, He's our number one fan. Feel yeah. free to tell him if he needs any pointers. I am available. He can reach me at Baron V. Straka on the Twitter. Hmm. All right, let us wrap this up. I have things to do. Thank you for all the wonderful artwork. Thank you for uh, making McDade cry on at least seven different occasions. Only seven that we know of. Only seven. I'm slipping in my old age. Well, just wait. When McDade's wife pops out another kid and it has a monocle, <laughs> <laughs> that's when uh, shit's really going to hit, hit the fan. So thank you for coming on, Baron Strucker. Thank you. Thank you, Baron Strucker. It was my pleasure. It was mine pleasure. Like like the ancient samurai, I am equal parts warrior and artist. And this is how I express myself. With the Jerry McBrown cartoons. <laughs> they say well Ronnie is a sign of a superior man. Of course, I, I said that. <laughs> you then coined that term. All right. We gotta get back to talking about Arcade, a superior villain. <laughs> Very well. And as always, Hail Bantraka and Hail Hydra. So, uh, I'm a big pinball fan. I got a buddy who has like 14 pinball machines in his basement that I go bike riding with. It's fucking awesome. Pinball. Well, then you should Covers like Arcade. Pretty I like Arcade. Listen, if you haven't picked up Avengers Arena that was actually really good. I wanted to get to that, guys. Because <laughs> Arena by Dennis Hopeless and Kev Walker was the bomb. Yeah. And they made Arcade cool. They did. And if you I think Arcade's kind of cool here. It's 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 not as awesome because it's, it's hard to take him seriously. It's dated and like it's one of those things where it's like the 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 gimmick of his power, like, it's not like he's going to win. He's never going to win, so it's almost like... He's not like, really uh, worried about winning. No, I know, and that's actually fun. one of the things that makes him actually interesting and kind of slightly psychotic. Plus, I always never liked Arcade, because there's an issue later in, like, the 200s, which deals with Dazzler having a stalker, and it's, like, this crazy up-close shot of, like, a lunatic dude with, like, a knife like this on the cover. 
And, like, he's a crazy that. stalker of Dazzler. I always thought it was Arcade. Like, he looks like <laughs> Arcade on the cover. <laughs> like, clearly, I'm so... Because we had that issue where, like, they were in the circus and it was Banshee and I thought uh-huh. it was Arcade. Right, and I didn't yeah. read it. Because, Any redhead is... So, clearly, I just... Yeah, I just... Yeah. Why am I doing a podcast with you, you damn ginger? <laughs> <laughs> barely anymore. What's left is... What I have left is barely red. Uh, but, I mean, there's that issue 204, the Nightcrawler one, where... Arcade grabs up Nightcrawler and he, yeah. he's all swashbuckler. I thought you'd love that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's just not, I don't know. Arcade doesn't really do it for me that much. Yeah. I'm with you. It's, but however, I don't, I don't mind him, but I don't get excited when he shows up until now. Like Jerry said, Arena was really good. And if you thought about picking up Arena, but we're like, we hope that this convinces you to. And you should, at the same time, be picking up <laughs> Undercover, because issue number one came out recently, and it was also very good, it and yet. it is Hopeless, and it is Kev Walker, and it's excellent. Sweet OJ ad. Hercletes, if they don't fit, you must acquit. So basically, in this issue, like, they're obviously going through this fun house, blah, blah, blah. There's <laughs> Yeah, RK quickly captures all of them, puts them into a giant pinball machine, and launches them into Murder World. Oh, yeah. Where it's very cold. <laughs> I did notice that panel, but I didn't know if we should bring it up. I don't know if we want to get labeled as that X-Cast. No. Um, so, so there was some attention to detail in a particular panel with Storm. <laughs> yeah. She might have gotten out of the shower and put on a very uh, thin Silky robe. Silky robe. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's just a, an elaborate funhouse of, of dangerous traps for each of, each of the X-Men. But, however, what Arcade does, and he does well, is... He uses a robot of Colonel Alexei Vagin. <laughs> Vagin. <laughs> I think it's Vagin. Yeah. Vagin. I think it's Vagin. <laughs> okay, so he uh, he has a robot of um, a Russian colonel named Alexei Vagin. <laughs> <laughs> or Vagine, who uh, basically is trapped in a dark room with Colossus and convinces him that he's become a traitor to Russia and how dare he come to the States and use his gifts for the US of A. So there's a uh, Nightcrawler's trapped in a little circular dome kind of thing with cars that have buzz saws on them, which, let's go back to the Transformers movie, when Cup... And Hot Rod or Underwater. Yeah. Those things are coming after him. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, That's where a... they got that idea. Yeah. Um, Wolverine, or Storm gets trapped underwater and in a confined space. Yeah. Not good. And Cyclops and Wolverine wind up meeting up. Because uh, Cyclops blows a hole through one of the walls, which is, as I was reading this, I was like, someone just shoot a hole through a wall. Well, and then you guys towards, are of like mind. Towards the very end of the issue... Wolverine gets punched out by a very familiar fist. And you're like, Colossus, what are you doing? And he's well, like... he doesn't get punched out. He gets... Crommed. <laughs> you know Colossus is dealing injuries when you hear crom. Yep. And he says, I'm not Colossus. Colossus was a traitor to his motherland and his people. Now I am proletarian. <laughs> Sweet name, guys. Proletarian. It is red overalls. It is little red hat. cap. <laughs> He's so adorable. All you got to do is find the cover of this issue and, and of the no, next issue, yeah. one twenty four, and you can see what he looks like. 
I that when as a kid when I saw the cover to issue number one twenty four, I was like, why is Farm Boy Colossus beating everybody up? Yeah, man. <sighs> so one twenty four, we don't really have to spend much time on this, do we? No. I mean, it's pretty much a fun house. They bust out of it. There's one really cool panel that that we tweeted from our Twitter account at GXPod of Nightcrawler hiding in a inside a bank of computers looking out a vent at Arcade and he is fully transparent in the shadows. You can see the computer circuitry behind him and yep. it's a really cool manifestation of one of his powers that kind of gets dropped by the wayside later on. Yeah, and before and it's, they killed him. And it's uh Storm and Cyclops are able to convince Colossus that he's their that they're his family now. And uh that They're really breaks, pushing the family angle now. That that breaks him out of his brainwashing. Yeah. So it's a, I mean, it's a good issue and it's a fun issue. It's just um, you know, not too much going on. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah. I it's mean, a fun arcade issue. There's nothing wrong with these issues. They're fun little comics. This is a two issue arc. It's fun, but um, in here, I think the book has kind of hit a little bit of a lull. It was going really strong, hits a lull here, and then really amps up for Dark Phoenix Saga. Yeah. You know, so these are good, but eh, they're just good, I think. That's true. So next up. So the next one, chronologically, I don't think it was published next, but I think it falls next based on editor's notes, is the King Size X-Men Annual number three, the awesome attack of Archon. King Size Annual, 75 cents. 48 like, pages, I think I would like to talk about this for a minute, because... When did the shift happen where, like, events went from... Because I remember annuals being, like, a big deal. And now it's like they put out annuals and it's, like, a throwaway thing. Yeah. Like, I remember well, annuals being a big fucking... Like, my first... Uh, shit, my first comic was an annual. Uncanny X-Men number 17 was the first mm-hmm. comic I ever read. And well, they already had events by then, though. I mean, yeah, but it just like I mean, I remember like Atlantis attacks. Which, I mean, yeah, they're not great. They weren't, that, events weren't an presents. annual thing at that point, you know. But like now, they every year Marvel's got to have their summer blockbuster, and or it's an last event. Last year they had two or two, right? Technically um, three because there was an X crossover too. Yeah, which X Men don't count anymore. They're completely separate from the rest of the Marvel U. Whatever, oh, motherfuckers. Um, but I think. My opinion is that it started with Secret War and Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, you know, I think I think that's when the change I guess what started I'm saying is like I just miss annuals holding some weight or being the place where like um, kind of like intricate one-off cool stories happen. Because I remember like Uncanny X-Men Annual 18 is like just an issue where like Caliban and Kitty and Jubilee go down into the Morlock tunnels to where, like, Caliban was going to marry Kitty uh-huh. in that issue. And it's just this, like, rehash and kind of, like, an interesting character piece. Yeah. And instead of having, like... And I understand the state of the industry and the fact that, like, they need to sell books and it's the constant, like, keeping people interested by pushing out cool new things and whatever. But, like, I miss cool stories being touched upon in that. Like, I know that when... um yeah. When, spoiler for Corsair years down the road, but when Corsair dies, like, there was no, oh man, how's Cyclops dealing with it? And there was like an eight page issue in some like throwaway. It's like, I just miss them kind of having like 
X-Men Unlimited or annuals that kind of like held some weight and weren't just like, here's another one shot. Yeah. Well. I don't know. Anyways, you should, um, this, this issue, it's like, it's a cool concept for a cover, but it looks unfinished. And when I was reading this, Jerry actually tweeted out, he's got a picture. You have a, do you have a copy of the completed cover? Uh, it's all over the internet, but this is a, a Frank Miller cover. And the reason it looks unfinished is because the background is a single barbaric sword wielding guy running into the action. And it, it turns out that there was an acetate overlay of the rest of the background that was left off when the cover was created. And it's tragic. It was a, a much cooler cover. It's a, still a cool cover. Um, but yeah, most of the background on it is missing. It, yeah. It's kind of a funny story. So if you, if you Google that, you will find that somewhere without much hassle. And this, this annual is drawn by George Perez, which is pretty awesome seeing Perez draw the X-Men. It was the, I think it was the first time that I saw that happen. And if you notice the truck that's delivering the newspapers in the first panel, <laughs> Hembeck deliveries. deliveries, yeah. There's a couple shout outs in, in these backgrounds. Burns drafting equipment. And I, I picked out a couple other things in the in the background. I can't remember what they are. But yeah, George Perez, man. And this is also inked by Terry Austin, but it's a very different looking inking style. Like he he it seems like he, he broke out the micron pens or something, like the his line work. Like he's he's still spotting blacks heavily, but um where he's using uh feathering, he he's using a much finer line. Uh, and it, it just gives his ink such a completely different look than when he's inking burn. And I don't know if it's because he set more time aside or because uh, Perez's pencils are tighter or finer. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, different looking book, man. And, and uh, Perez does a good job of, of drawing the characters the same way that that uh, Byrne does. You I mean, but you can tell... That this is a Perez book. It's a really good looking book. Yeah. And, and uh, it's too bad he couldn't have find, found time to uh, come over and do some work instead of working on that fake X-Men book, Teen Titans. Yeah. Yeah, high five. Fuck you, Teen Titans. We don't give a shit about you. Oh, one Perezism. The beginning of this book, uh, Archon shows up in New York City... And uh, is tasked with finding the person who can save his world. So he shows up at Peter's mansion uh, looking for Thor, who is the person he thinks he needs. And Jar- poor Jarvis is is there to greet him. Unfortunately, none of the other are there to greet him. And uh, he dumps Jarvis and goes off to find somebody else. He's told there's someone else that can help them out. And he heads... For the X Mansion, the the X Men meanwhile are training in the Danger Room, and this is one of the craziest Danger Room sessions of all time. Yeah, I don't love the way that Perez draws Colossus. No, his muscles are really weird. Yeah, but I mean, it's still better than most people. Hey, he's Perez. Everything else looks great. Not a single complaint. So Aurora has some trouble in the middle of the training session and ends up pretty much destroying the entire danger room yeah and scott runs her down and she's prepared to take a tongue lashing from him but he surprises her basically he he just gives her a pep talk 
she's yeah. she's really starting like Peter. She's starting to question whether she should be there and whether she's really happy there. And he's like, "Hey, people need us here." And she's like, "Okay." It's weird too. Like I wonder sometimes, like with with Peter doubting and like Storm doubting and kind of everyone doubting their place here. Even Logan for a bit with the whole, like, I gotta handle this Alpha Flight thing on my own. Yeah. Like, is it all leading up to the fact that, like, Dark Phoenix is coming, you know, to really kind of push them together through tragedy? Yeah. Like, is this, like, the the sad calm before the storm that's coming? It feels like Wolverine's about to get fucked up in our next episode. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the storm goes up to her room. Hang out with the plants. Gets attacked by Archon. So uh, Archon has a fight with the X-Men, and they hand it to him pretty heavily. I mean, he he gets his punches in. Um, they think he's killed Storm, and they kind of lose it, and Colossus bashes him over the head with a tree. Ending the fight, Wolverine wants to carve him up, and Cyclops stops him, realizing that he's just used one of his lightning bolts to teleport her away. And he figures out how they work, having seen it on TV. <laughs> and he teleports them for part two of this annual. Part three. Part three, sorry. Oh yeah, part three. Uh, to Archon's home world, where they fight about a million Asgardian-looking dudes. Yeah. And then we see a very... What's that chick's name? Starfire? From... I don't know. A very busty storm. A very starfire-looking storm. Yeah, that's nobody looks like that. That's crazy. Um, Forget that, man. Flip the page. If you want to see something cool in this comic. <laughs> Colossus riding a dragon. It's awesome. <laughs> that is pretty badass. Like, again, I mean, this isn't like this isn't going to change the course of the X-Men, but if you want no, a no, cool... No, no, no. Yeah, like one. This is issue. an annual issue. Yeah, it's a cool thing. They're out of their element. It's a fantasy issue. Because didn't annuals all come out at the summertime too? I think usually. And it was because I think Zuiza has talked to me a lot about that, about how when he was a kid, like a couple extra quarters, get himself a soda, sit on the grass in the backyard, sun beaming down, read him some annuals. Oh man, he lived a good life. He did. I can never afford annuals. So yeah, it turns out that. They've been brought there so that Storm can uh, hopefully resuscitate a device that Iron Man had made for them, powered by Thor, to uh, to power this this ring of energy around their planet that provided light for the planet. But she can't work it because it's broken. So somehow Nightcrawler and Wolverine jimmy it back together, and in some elaborate thing. Colossus lifts up Storm, who pulls a bunch of lightning into her, shoots it all into Scott, who normally only absorbs solar radiation, but somehow manages very painfully to absorb all this lightning energy and channel it through his eyes into this contraption, saving Archon's world. They're all friends in the end. Happy ending. Fan, as the French say. So now we're on to Uncanny X-Men number 125. Number 125. And Sean, I'm sad to say, I read this a couple months ago when I I got the um, the black and white uh, essential Yeah. for Chloe and I to color. I got you covered. But um, 
But yeah, I didn't get to reread it for this. Okay. And I'm bummed. I will do it tonight, but I, I'm not ready for the recording. Um, it's got a uh, pretty cool cover. Um, one uh, oddly enough, one of my all-time favorite um, comics is Avengers Annual Number Ten, written by Chris Claremont, drawn by Michael Golden. This has a cover that kind of reminds me of that. I mean, obviously this one came first, but kind of sectioned off by the Phoenix, and you know, you have a cool danger room shot, and then something mystery. Some mysteries going on on Mirror Island, so it's a pretty cool cover. This you is a Cockrum cover, but yeah, you open it up, and uh, Phoenix is pushing her powers to the limit in a lab with Moira McTaggart. Moira's looking super nerdy. Oh, she's the got goggles. Some, she's got some sweet goggles on, and uh, you know they do that weird bubble effect whenever Jean's talking, like the Phoenix, and I can't tell if she's like pissed all the time or like how I'm supposed to read that if her voice sounds like. She going sultry? Is she going angry? Like, does oh, she sound like the word she's, balloon? You mean how the, yeah, like the edges she, of the word balloon are rough? She smoked a pack. Thick? Like, <laughs> I think, uh, I think it's just supposed to indicate that her voice doesn't sound normal human. Okay. So basically, like, Jean's kind of had it up to here with running tests and not understanding what's going on, and Moira's just like, listen, I don't have any answers. We've barely figured out the questions as to what's going on with you. So while this is going on... <laughs> Angus McWhirter shows up yeah. again. You and remember he, him? He looks like a fucking zombie. He looks like Afterlife with Archie. Yeah. Awesome book. Awesome book. Awesome book. Anyways. They're not all Marvel books, these awesome ones. So, uh, Jean does a quick recap of everything that's happened and how her powers were basically at their highest point, but then somehow she was managed to be defeated a few issues ago by Magneto. She talks about the fact that the X-Men have died and how she left the school and how everybody that she's been running into has been really nice and pleasant to her. It shows her on a plane talking to some old priest and then, uh, you know, basically... How uh, everything's been going good, and she's basically starting her life over fresh in Scotland. Cuts to the X-Men training in the Danger Room. They're, uh, basically, Danger Room session doesn't go the way that Cyclops wanted it to. He doesn't think that they're taking it seriously. And it's one of the first times that Wolverine is basically like, Hey, listen, dude. We're all adults. Like, this is a game. It's a joke. It ain't real life. Like... When we're out there, we work as a team. Like, this isn't, you know... Here's the irony, though. They're, they're almost 30 issues in at this point, And very rarely have they worked as a team in a fight. Yeah. So I think Cyclops has a point. You he know, does. I can see I can see getting tired of the practice. You know, he's pulling an Allen Iverson here, I think. Yeah. Oh, um, man. But, <laughs> but I, I really don't think their teamwork is so hot. No, but, I mean, I do understand the idea of, like, adults being like, all right, yeah. dude, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. So then we uh, get a cutaway to Magneto recuperating in Asteroid M. Pretty awesome. He's erasing memory files. So, yeah. Yeah. Including one of Magda, his yeah. late wife. So then you, uh, we go, we're directed towards, uh, Jason Wingard, who is now announced as a Wingard. Wingard? I think Wingard. Okay. So Jason Wingard starts discussing the fact that he's basically thinking to himself about how he's basically got Gene under his control now because every new person that she's been running into has been him in some type of illusion. Alright. And I think this is the first time we ever see the 
Black Queen outfit. Yep. The yep. S&M Jean Grey. Yeah. Who, Claremont's fantasy yeah. of what Jean Grey should be. Yeah, we don't even want to get into the Professor X S&M stuff that he was going to do. <laughs> oh, we're getting to it. Oh, my God. We're getting to it. Yeah, I like how when she's the Black Queen, she grows a mole. Hey, that's her uh, carnival mole. Yeah. It's back. <laughs> it's back. I also never realized, like, until rereading this, I never realized how much Lorna was around. And it actually kind of yeah. annoys me that, like, she's not closer to the X-Men now or when she was an X-Factor. Yeah. Did you think being one of the original people that they ever spent time with, like, mm-hmm. she'd be a little bit more involved in this? Well, I mean, I guess she can't be involved in well, Jean's life. But you think that there'd be a bigger connection. She had her moment in, in the mid 200s yeah when she was a full-fledged member of the team but i think when malice showed up yeah that that was it for her man she was done yeah she was done being an x-men that was a that was a bad time for her um so i can understand it but i miss it because you're right she's she's been there through all of this yeah and she's really if you know as much a part of Jean's X-Men family is is the rest of these guys are at this point. Yeah, so then uh, Moira's thinking about the fact that she wishes Xavier was around, which gives us the nice segue to uh, Xavier basically feeling pretty alone up there in the uh, galaxy. He's trying to do his best, but quickly comes up with the excuse of, you know, Phoenix is pretty powerful. I should probably get home and check on her. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll cut back after that little interlude of Xavier realizing his mistake of moving in with a girl. And further down the road, I don't know why I'm being home. Um, Sean, is your girlfriend pressuring you to propose? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. So we get a cutaway to uh, Moira walking past that mute next door again. I gotta flip past the ads, that's why it's taking me. Right. She finds a tooth on the floor. <laughs> Poor Angus. Why this looks like Angus's tooth. <laughs> that damn Angus. So she goes to open the door and realizes, well, we don't know what she realizes. Because it cuts to Jean walking across Mirror Island. Barely, barely wearing anything. Jerry, is this your comic crush of this? Was it Angus or this? Which is your comic crush of this issue? It's not close. It's Angus. <laughs> He's barely wearing any skin. With or without the tooth. <laughs> I'll leave it to your imagination. I got a pal who had a gold tooth once. Yeah? It was awesome. I'll bet. It doesn't surprise me. Jean walks in and flashes into her phoenix costume. Yep. But all of a sudden, she's displaced quickly by a wine guard messing with her mind. And then all of a sudden, because she's distracted... By Wingard's messing with her head, she gets attacked by Angus. And so that's when Banshee and Madrox hear the scream. They go a-running. Cut back to the X-Mansion. Which is pretty awesome. And you see an av- <coughs> Quinjet in the backyard. And Beast enters through the back door. Nightcrawler does he is want. Yeah. <laughs> he is a beast after all. Nightcrawler doesn't recognize him. So Nightcrawler goes to attack him. Nightcrawler, for some reason, teleports 
to the rest of the X-Men to explain that he's been fighting a ghost. I don't understand why Nightcrawler wasn't smart enough to put it together of like, oh man, maybe he made it too, but he's like, guys, you gotta come and help me. There's a fucking ghost in the house. <laughs> it's nighttime, it's late, he's superstitious. I guess. So we get Cyclops whips open the door and all of a sudden in one awesome word balloon, Beast and Cyclops yell, you're alive at the same time. It's pretty awesome. Because they're best awesome. friends. Yeah. Which pisses me off with what they've done to their relationship recently. Oh, I know, I hate man. It. I hate it so much. I know. Who do we blame for that? Jason Aaron? I'm going to blame Fraction. Let's blame Fraction. Was he even involved in that? Um, Fraction did the really shitty second coming Nightcrawler's funeral issue where basically Beast Storm, which would have never fucking happened, but like Beast Storms into the funeral and he's like, this is on you, Cyclops. You fucking did this. Fuck you, man. This is all your fault. Like, just goes off on him at the funeral. Uh-huh. And it's like that thing where it's like time and a place, like, would have never done that. Fraction. Yeah, people do weird things when people die. So, Let's uh, change people. So they get catching up, and all of a sudden, Cyclops is like, shit, man. If Gene is alive, just like you are in Muir Island, let's give Muir Island a call. So Muir Island calls, and there's a panel in here where John Byrne pulls off the correct Neil Adams, Havoc's power. Yeah! He's turned sideways, but the rings are still straightforward. That's right. That's right. Remember that, folks. If you didn't listen to our Neil Adams episodes, whenever you're drawing Havoc, and he's manifesting his power, it doesn't matter what direction he's facing... The concentric rings of his power suit should be emanating from his center as you see it. And Byrne does it. So her and uh, Lorna and Cyclops are talking on the phone. And uh, she's based, she picked up the phone because she was like, shit, everybody's screaming. We might need some help. So uh, she basically explains to Cyclops that Jamie and Alex are heading out to the lab to check it out. But they should probably be here. Hop on the blackbird, get out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Banshee goes, Cyclops, what happened? He looked white as a ghost. And he goes, Lauren, I heard her scream, and the line went dead. And that's... That, folks, is where we are going to leave it. So we're going to cliffhanger you, just like they do, into one of the coolest X-Men stories. That's right. i got to find me a drug dealer fast before I read these Proteus issues. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta really experience it, Jerry. I hear you, man. So, I guess that'll do it for another episode. We want to thank everybody that's been listening. You guys are awesome. You're keeping us going. Because we hate the X-Men. We hate doing this show. If it wasn't for you, we'd never do it. I can promise you that. It's true. Yeah. I don't love talking to Sean. I don't live for it. Yeah. (laughs) So, next time. What can people expect? Next time people can expect us talking about Proteus, which is an awesome storyline if you've never uh, read it. They also do a very good adaptation in the cartoon. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I don't know. I'll take your word for it. Gambit's in it. I'm going to look into that. better. At some point, I'm going to have to watch these for a guest. Yeah, no. So I I plan to do it. Um, and uh, we, we'll, I think, will be joined by a special guest. Yes, and we will start talking about... We're going to ease in carefully just the tip of the Dark Phoenix Saga. 
There you go. So join us next time, folks. Two weeks. See you then. Goodbye. Well, I'm not cool enough to hang with the stuff in the States. Yeah, I can't be connected, so I'll never be one of the greats. Well, I step on the plane, I head out of the hill. American Caucasian Caucasian.